Hi, welcome back. How are you doing, Danny? I'm good. How are you doing, Al? I'm doing real well. Uh, thank good. you for joining me today. I'm excited about the topic that we're going to discuss. Uh, we had a little technology thing going on. <laughs> That's where we're a couple minutes uh, delayed. But if you would, introduce yourself and a little bit about what we're going to talk about today. Should I mumble that again? <laughs> a little bit about what we're going to talk about today. Sure. My name is Danny Johnson. I am the co-founder and principal analyst at Red Thread Research, and we have been doing some research on learning methods, which can sound incredibly boring, uh, but I'm a geek, and I found quite a few really interesting things about, you know, how organizations choose them, which ones are most preferred, those types of things. So we're going to share a little bit about that today. Well, let's um, jump right into it, and I've got some slides that I will share as we go. And I'm really interested for a variety of reasons because learning, skills development, all this discussion at these recent conferences, uh, Unleash and Josh Burson's conference and yeah. a bunch of talk around talent intelligence and you know making sure that we're reskilling people to meet the needs of the future of work. So how are you looking at this challenge? We're looking at it as a great, big, huge, hairy challenge. Um, for many years, like 80, we've been really focusing on classroom training. And in the last two or three years, that nece hasn't necessarily been available for us. And so it's been really interesting to see how organizations have decided to, to develop their employees. And last year during the pandemic, during the sort of tail end as everybody was getting vaccinated, we did some research. Um, it was qualitative research. We just went out and tried to identify all of the different ways that people learn in organizations. And we came up with 66 of them. So, you know, it's, it's more than just classroom learning, turns out. It's more than e-learning. Um, most organizations draw on just a few, 10 actually, we'll get to that in a second. Um, but there are actually 66 ways to learn and they all support a different behavior. So if you're building a learning culture, for example, what you want to do is encourage certain behaviors in your organization. You want to encourage them to plan their training and find the right stuff and consume the training and experiment with the training and, you know, connect with other people that can teach them and perform on the job. And these 66 methods, we went through and categorized all of them so that they align to those six behaviors. Um, hopefully to give learning leaders and others who are in charge of reskilling an opportunity to see, you know, of the universe of, of opportunities, what is the best sort of, you know, star, what do you call those? Constellation. <laughs> That's the word I like. <laughs> the best constellation for their own organization. Considering that, how did you find these? I mean, what specifically did you do to yeah. unearth that? Because obviously it's a big undertaking. Oh, yeah. Um we read like 80 articles and um, did, you know, and so what we did is we read about 80 articles and then we also did several roundtables and a bunch of art and a bunch of interviews to figure out exactly what people were using in organizations. We also drew on work that had already been done. So Jane Hart does a best tools for learning list every year and a couple of others have these, you know, things that try and help expand how uh, learning leaders particularly are thinking about learning in their organization. Yeah. With I get, I get excited about this because, well, for a variety of reasons that I just get wound up when we talk about you know, talent and, and development, because there's been, to your earlier point, so much investment on what I would call event-based learning. So you yeah. go into a classroom or even watch a video or something, and it's pretty much done. And you hope it sticks. And so the ongoing reinforcement to build habits around these particular skills. Uh, are you seeing any shifts in that regard? Not only the content 
of the learning, but the learning methods or modalities? Yeah. So after we sort of categorized everything, the next thing we did was we actually went out to the market and, and just asked people, you know, what are you relying on for learning in organizations? And what we found was that um, classroom training wasn't a big one. And a lot of that is because, as you mentioned, it is episodic. So, you know, people go in once or twice a year to have this classroom training. Um, but what we found was that the people are really, they rely on a certain number of methods um, to, to get their own development. And they do it sort of based on four things. They do it based on the culture of the organization. They do it based on the resources that the organization has, the audience. So we found that there's a little bit of a difference between managers and individual contributors when it comes to the types of things, for example. And then we also found that um, organizations, especially those that are that have better learning cultures and are higher performing, choose the learning methods that they provide to, to people by the business need, which seems obvious, but, <laughs> but it isn't as obvious as people think. Um, to this point, really, there hasn't been a lot of research on learning methods or how people should choose them or the types of things that go into those decisions. And it was kind of gratifying to, to actually see some of the assumptions we've been making for years um, come to fruition. And it was also really interesting to see what things we thought were true or not true. So I want to pick up on um, culture and audience in that sure. graphic real quick. Because um, culture is can be defined any number of ways. But for me, it's the stories that people tell themselves and others about their experience at work. Yeah. So you can want the culture to be something, but what it really is, how, what people express about that experience, in my view. Yeah. Meanwhile, there's all this uh, behavioral research and thought leadership, uh, Brene Brown, Adam Grant, you know, uh, Anishi Jha, you know, on down the line, right? Around uh, happiness, well-being, and themes that not only apply to one's life, but can make them more effective and satisfied in the workplace. However, the delta between what's purported in this research and what's actually realized in organizations is arguably pretty significant. And it's also the case that much of this curriculum historically has not been based on this thought leadership, particularly the recency of it. You know, it's been, okay, yeah. it's baked, it's in there, it's been there for a while, it ages quickly. So when we talk about culture and instilling certain behaviors, any uh, perspectives and ideas or leading practices that you've unearthed to shrink the delta between this recent leadership that's in the public domain that kind of creates an expectation or appetite for what could be and what's actually being delivered by an organization? Yeah, I actually think that's why we asked the question we did. Um, we didn't ask, you know, which ones are you using the most or which ones do you like the most? We asked, which ones are you relying on the most? Because um, mm -hmm. if you ask individuals, you know, what do they love the most? They're going to choose certain things and organizations are going to choose things that maybe um, were in their reach. They either don't have a large organizational lift or they don't have a large cost. But when we asked the question, you know, what do you, what do you rely on the most? It gave us a really good sense for if, if we cut out all the other crap, you know, what are the things that people, what are the things that people really care about and what are the things that they're using for their own development? And really interesting. Um, we found that they were the everyday tools that we use. So internet came up either one or number two in almost every group we looked at. Um, another one that came up a lot was manager feedback. So we don't necessarily always think that manager feedback is a development opportunity, but it absolutely is. And that we found that a lot of, of people that took our survey from the individual contributors, you know, up really relied on that manager feedback to, to give them the development opportunities that they needed. 
And just uh, picking up on that, what's the ideal future state? If we can just kind of cut to the end game, you know, if an organization and someone's listening today, it's like, hey, you know, we've revamped, you know, how we're learning in COVID. We've done this, you know, time and again, there's, you know, micro learning, you know, now that we're going in person, you know, that might come into play again. Mm -hmm. But when you talk about the perspective and ideas that a manager might have or a teammate might have, you know, and making sure that, okay, I hear you, now I can go actually do something about it. That implies that the organization has supplied resources or content or experiences that are relevant to that feedback from the manager. I, so not to put too many, <laughs> you know, make it, uh, you know, answer the question for you, but you know, what's your ideal future state? What would you advise? I would advise, well, first of all, I think that balance is really important. And so, you know, learning uh, preferences have been debunked for years. Like I'm an audible learner, I'm a, you know, that's been debunked. But but what hasn't been debunked is um, that, that we learn in lots and lots of different ways. And so when you think about how you pick something up, um, it's, it usually involves one or more method. You may read a book about it. You may watch a video about it. You may try it. You may do it. And so when we put together the behaviors that a, a strong learning culture is trying to encourage, we took into account all those things. So we really do need to help organizations, sorry, we really do need to help individuals plan their development. Without planning, nothing happens. We really do need to help people find the types of opportunities and the types of uh, content that they need in order to learn. We really do need to, to make it easy for them to consume. And so, so those six areas that we talked about, I mean, my number one recommendation would be to make sure that the methods that you choose and the things that you decide to invest in cover the span of those six things. Don't just focus on the consume bucket, which is where most organizations get stuck. It's not just about content. It's making sure that we're sort of supporting all of those behaviors. The second thing that I would say with respect to culture is to choose uh, methods that are gonna align with your organization. So for example, I worked at Deloitte uh, for many years. And one of the things that uh, I understood pretty early about their population is that everybody was mobile, which means they moved around a lot and didn't necessarily have one desk and, and uh, relationships were really, really important. And so when Deloitte goes in to choose methods that work best for their organization, they should focus on the fact that everybody is mobile and doesn't have a desk. So maybe, you know, really long e-learning trainings aren't the best idea. And they should also focus on the fact that the relationships are really, really important. And so they don't want to stick somebody in a back room learning by themselves for long periods of time. And so Deloitte is a good example of this because they sort of realized this and built a $300 million, you know, place, Deloitte University in the middle of Ross Burroughs Ranch in Texas to help people connect, to bring people together because they don't have a desk and because those relationships are so important. And that is a really nice place. <laughs> it's, it's a really, uh, uh, it's a place, obviously, that creates, it's very intentional is what I was getting at. It's you know, very you're, intentional. Yeah, you're, you're there to learn. And, yeah. you know, so we talk, and I skipped a, a few uh, slides with, no uh, you know, so I want to bring this up in relation okay. to that. So can you go through, you know, when you talk about intention and yeah. human involvement? Yeah. So one of the things that we did when we looked at all of these methods, so we identified 66. And then when we went out to do the survey, we realized that 66 was a lot to ask about. So we narrowed it down to 49. And so what you see on the screen here are 49 ways that people learn in organizations. We then started looking at it with respect to the, the four things that we talked about, business, uh, 
I'm going to pull it up because this is brand new research and this is the first time I'm talking about it. The business need, the culture itself, the, the resources that you have and the audience you have. And this one sort of represents the, the culture. Um, in our research, we identified two things. First of all, through our interviews and our roundtables, this idea of connection has become so important. So you mentioned now that like the future may be, you know, we're back to micro learning, we're back to self-service. I don't think those things are going away. I think they're still important. But what we have seen is that pendulum swing back a little bit and organizations are really focusing on how do we connect? How do we, how do we connect people to the organization? How do we connect people to each other? And that's bled into learning and development as well. They want to connect. And so that's the first part of that. The second part is if you want to pull that up again, what we realized is of the 49 learning methods that we had, um, over 50% of them are, are really high touch, which means they involve a human. So about 40, 45% of them don't involve a human and people can do them by themselves. The 50% involves some sort of human to make sure that the learning happens. And so as organizations think through, you know, their need for connection and as organizations try and rebuild the, the connections that they may have lost during COVID, considering these things, these high touch things can bring some of that connection back through the learning experience. That's uh, really cool. <laughs> I mean, it's because you're right. Uh, we do want to connect. And uh, I have this working theory, and I'd be interested in your perspective uh, on this, is that, yes, we want to get back in person. We want to connect in person. We've stared at screens for a long time, watched videos and taken quizzes in some cases, and it's mind-numbing. It's pretty hard to deal with. Um, and now there's these uh, forums where, hey, we can, yes, breakout groups are yeah. fine. But even when you talk about breakout groups, if it's, you know, eight to 10 people and you're in a breakout room for 15, 20 minutes, there's not a lot of airtime. So to find this meaningful connection whereby we're creating small groups at scale of two, three, maybe four people that is more high touch and intimate that involves uh, co-creating or designing solutions. Do you see that as being something that is going to evolve and be more commonplace than it has been historically? I think so. I, I, I think that is sort of nirvana, like that's magical, right? Um, the, the way that you described it also describes sort of a world where work and learning happen together, which is another mm -hmm. one of my big soapboxes. Um, we should default to the work first for learning. And that's one of the things that I loved about the last slide that you showed is so many of those things happen in the in the course of work, you know, job shadowing, developing social connections, all of those types of things are big for learning and development, as you know, our audience told us. Um, but at the same time, like they happen in the course of work. It's not something that you do on the side, like a course or a class. It's something that happens as you're doing the work. And so and also, as you, you probably know, we're also doing a podcast right now on hybrid. And this is the other thing that we're saying is that these smaller groups, like we've talked to many organizations that are rethinking their workspaces because these smaller groups for learning and, and uh, doing work together and collaboration is so, so, so important. Wow. Yeah. I, I, I'm getting, sorry. I have, I want to talk about so much and I know we have some content that I want to get through because I don't want to make this about yeah. me and like, what is the future of, of learning for communities, uh, but organizations are in fact communities. So when we talk yeah. about you know high touch and versus you know low touch, I, I'm starting to see this ecosystem of content um, and the activation of the content. Uh, so to your point, it helps actually 
uh, people get their jobs done or work with colleagues and teams more effectively. So, you know, with that, you know, here's some 10 methods that you all came up with. You want to walk us through this? Yeah, I'll walk you through this one. This one is sort of like a, I don't know, a tongue in cheek, like an aha. Like when, when L&D people think about development and when they talk to other functions about development, they often default to the course. They're like, the course is, you know, what we're going to, what we're going to use. We took a look at, you know, the learning methods that were most relied upon by, you know, level, by industry, by park, where you lived in the world, all of those types of things. And then the last cut we did was the methods used most by L&D professionals. And so what you're seeing on the screen right now are the top 10 methods that L&D pros said that they rely on. So internet is number one, articles, professional networks, manager feedback, goal setting, videos, formal review, social networks, peer feedback, and intranet. Nowhere on there is their course. Hmm. The the and so so this this slide actually or this this chart has two two um, purposes. The first one is listen, you know, if you're an L and D person, don't default to the course because that's not how you're learning. You're using all of these other methods, and so how can you sort of take your experience and sort of integrate that into the types of things that you're offering or the the things that you're supporting within the organization? The second thing um, that I really liked about this chart is it shows really a difference between how L&D people think and how the rest of the organization thinks. And so this goes back to sort of your world out, which is the need for data, right? So, mm -hmm. so for example, uh, uh, L&D people really, really, really use the internet a lot. Like 69% of them, you know, label this as the number one thing. Um, only 50% of the general population use it. And so sort of comparing those two things helps you see the difference between your point of view and the point of view of the audiences that you're trying to serve. And that's why we think data, especially in learning, is becoming increasingly important because we have made assumptions for 100 years about what works and what people want and what's going to be the most valuable. And it isn't until we start looking at the data that we see that what we're putting out there might be colored by what we want or what we're putting out there may be colored by the thing that is easiest or the thing that is cheapest that isn't going to have as much impact if we if we dig a little deeper and see what's actually important. Yeah, this is super enlightening to me. Uh, it actually makes me pause on a variety of fronts because this is top 10. And yeah. so it invites the question, you know, what other methods were considered? And let me just call out a, a couple. Um, audio learning. So listening to podcasts, you know, for example... Was that there? Was that, but that's Literally. further down, obviously. Yeah. It's further down for, for LND people. So if you go back to slide six, for example, that actually uh -huh. has all 49 of them on there. And you can kind of see how they're relied upon just across the board. This one? Yeah, that one. So you can see podcasts is way down. It's way down there. So 18% of people said that they, they rely on podcasts. Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. And I'm actually taken too by how many still are consuming articles and there's, mm -hmm. is there overlap between internet and articles? So they're going to the internet to consume articles or are articles uh, a distinction in some way? It, like yeah. in a magazine, for example. There's a, there's a little bit of overlap because of the way that we structured that model. Internet is how you find the things that you're gonna learn and then the article is how you do the thing. So, so when you're looking at how people find the stuff, internet is number one, number one of everything. Um, and then the the con the consumption is <laughs> the word I wanted. It comes <laughs> could have gone totally different way. Um, the the consumption of the article or the video or the conversation they have or the the you know wiki or whatever is is how they consume that stuff. Got it. And is the video 
any uh was any distinction made around duration like uh, you know one minute i don't know 30 second TikTok, even though it might have yeah. <laughs> you know a and even the value of memes at, at which yeah. you know might sound absurd but i know there's it they're influential um so thoughts on you know the uh duration of a video and this just you know just quick snapshots learning if you will yeah i think i think there's a place for them so um a lot of people fall in a micro learning camp or out of a micro learning camp i don't i think there's a place for everything i think small bits of content have a place in you know it should be part of the quiver that lnd people use to define what the culture is in the organization so we definitely we love them but you know focusing solely on micro learning is going to be dizzying. Uh, it, it's hard to sort of learn, you know, anything by just micro learning. But yeah, I want to just call this up. And I, I know, you know, we still have some more time. So if you're listening and want to have questions, I see something come through the chat now, but you're going to talk more about this uh, next Thursday. You, you want to sh uh, share what this experience would be like? Yeah. I mean, it's a webinar. It's me on a webinar. What could be better than that? <laughs> Um, we're going to go through, we're going to go through the four ways that, uh, LND people should choose the methods, methods that they, that they use in an organization. Um, and we're going to share lots of data. So all of this is data backed by, you know, what are managers using? What are individual contributors using? What are LND people using? What are frontline workers using? What do they rely on? And then some of the bigger questions like, you know, how many should I be investing in? What, what should I be supporting? Should I, should I be experimenting? All of those types of things are sort of wrapped up into this huge conversation about learning methods. Okay. Well, yeah, a question did come through from Sharif. You know, how can I apply this touch chart in my organization? Great question, Sharif. <laughs> yeah, so I think there are a couple of ways to do it. And we, in the webinar and in the report, we actually have one of these for cost, and we also have one of these for organizational lift or the amount of effort it takes for the organization to implement one of these. So this is an example of one of the, the four methods. But the way that I would use this in an organization is I would understand, Sharif, what, what, how important connection is and how well your organization is currently connecting. Um, given that, you can make better decisions using this chart about what, whether, they, whether you need to increase that connection and that high touch or whether you can decrease it or if there are things that you can do in your organization that don't require a high touch. So high touch obviously has some implications, obviously better connection, but it also usually increases the organizational lift and can increase the noise in an organization. And so understanding all those things can help you make really good decisions about how you're connecting, the, the types of methods you have to connect and how you can do it better. Yeah, you know, as we start to wrap up, I, I do have a couple more you know, questions, and I know there's a couple of slides that we might go back to here, uh, but it's it's this is like I am now, you know, we're entering the middle part of the year. Uh, there's a lot of change. There's return to workplace. There's um, you know, obviously the modalities and the content are constantly being updated, but the pace in which it's being updated, depending on you know, recruiting challenges, uh, the ability to retain people, obviously, if they're feeling that they're growing in their career, the propensity to stay and do their best work is is elevated. So if that learning content gets stale, you know, it's like, hey, well, you know, why would I stay here when I don't feel that I'm staying at, at, at the cutting edge? So my pointed question is, and it along lines with Sharif, you know, how does this perspective, you know, how would you recommend it inform 
learning strategy and thus the prioritization of what you put uh, in front of your employees. Yeah. So what I'm hoping it does more than anything else, and this is why we started doing the research, what I'm hoping it does is move us away from a content discussion. So you mentioned that content gets outdated really quickly and you're constantly striving to keep it up to date. And there's this whole thing about curation and what we curate by hand and what we curate by, by AI and how that is affecting DEIB and organizations. So, so content is important, but it has its, has its own challenges. And what this research was meant to do, like the, the purpose of this research was to say, hey, hey, people, there's more than just content. We shouldn't just be focusing on content. We should be focusing on the discussions we're having with our managers. We should be focusing on podcasts. We should be focusing on enabling job shadowing. We should be focusing on talent marketplaces. There are all of these things out there that we can leverage for learning. And just because we don't know how to measure every single thing right this second doesn't mean that they aren't crucial to creating a really strong learning culture. And that, in the end, is L&D's responsibility. It isn't to create content. It isn't to put content out there. Um, sometimes we get bogged down on that and, and we think of all the new and shiny things that we could use to implement, but it's really about creating this culture where people always have access to learning and development so that they can help their organization succeed. Absolutely love that. I, mean, I was like, amen, sister. I, I, I hear it. And that echoes what this, uh, and this is what the last slide I wanted to, to share is that you, you want to talk us through this and it relates to your last statement. <sighs> Yeah, um, one of the one of the questions that we asked the L&D folks that took our survey, we had about 1,600 people overall, and we had about 300 L&D people uh, take the survey. One of the questions that we asked is, you know, when you put a learning method in place, what are the things that you consider? And then we sort of divided it by everyone else, like the 75% and the the top 25% that that indicate that they have the aspects of a high learning culture. And what we found is that 80% of those with a high learning culture are considering the business challenge over everyone else at 46%. And that's kind of telling because we're talking about learning culture here, which you would think you know, has much more to do with how people feel about it and the experience that they have and all those types of things, which is absolutely true. But the fact that those in high learning cultures are also considering the business need means that they're hitting the mark much better for their organization as well as the individuals that they're serving in that organization. And correct me if I'm wrong, that means they're in discussion with the business in terms of what those priorities are and they're yeah. getting uh, collecting that perspective from the managers on what would be valuable and, and applying it and providing resources and content experiences towards that end. Is that right? For sure. Um, it's, you know, we, we've said for about five years that L&D people need to get out from behind their desks and make friends with the other functions in the organization. They are a function. They're not, they're not, you know, they're not internal clients. They're, they're, their peers and other functions that they're trying to all collectively work together to solve bigger problems. And last one. Yeah. Um, it also turns out that high learning cultures support more methods than those in other organizations. And so if you have a high learning culture, you're experimenting with things a lot more, and you're also just supporting more of these methods than uh, people in other organizations. Those in other organizations, which again is the 75%, remember, they're, they're focusing on about 10, 10 things, um, 10 types of methods, whereas in high learning cultures, they're focusing on 21. And so they're offering many more types of methods and getting the, the learning out on the ground at a much better clip than those in, those in uh, other organizations. Well, Danny, you're awesome. Congratulations well, on you're... getting this research over the finish line. Uh, <laughs> how can listeners, viewers learn more about you and what you all are doing there at Red Thread? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, redthreadresearch.com is our website. So check us out there and then feel free to follow us on uh, LinkedIn or follow me personally on LinkedIn. And if you have specific questions about what we've talked about, you know, feel please tune into the, the webinar that's coming up next Thursday. And then if you have questions after that, give me a call because um, that's how we learn. All right. Sounds great, Danny. You be well and uh, look forward to seeing you in person, hopefully uh, before too long. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, Al. Thank you. See you.